It was mid-morning of April 22nd, 2021 in Pretoria, South Africa. Leo and Lloyd, his crewmate, were assigned to escort valuables to their destination. These security guards were employed at the Fortis Proactive Defensive Solutions Company. Both guards began making their way to the Toyota Land Cruiser. On the outside, the Toyota looked like an everyday SUV, but it was a specially modified 70 series with armored plating. Before they got into the Land Cruiser, Leo explained several things to Lloyd. Lloyd had only started the job four days before, and Leo had many years of experience. It was always Leo's practice to give his trainees the talk before they entered a vehicle. Leo explained various scenarios they would follow if they were hit by robbers. Because their particular vehicle didn't have any gun ports, they were unable to shoot at any threats. However, Leo would use his own vehicle to ram any cars off the road that presented as threats. Leo normally didn't drive armored trucks for his company. He usually trained drivers and guards to be equipped for the intense stress that could come with the job. However, he wanted to stay in the action, be aware of the street environment, and keep his skills as sharp as he could so he could produce the best trainees. Because of the hostile situation in South Africa, where daily armed robberies and carjackings continued to rise, Leo couldn't afford to let his training falter. Little did he know that his specialized skills and know-how were going to put to the test that very day. As Leo pulled onto the N4 highway, he checked the rearview mirror to see if anyone was following him. He then looked at his own reflection and said, This is the day it's going to happen. He was in the habit of repeating this phrase before every escort so he would be ready for anything. The two continued to talk shop as Leo kept his eyes on the road and rearview mirrors. He was constantly scanning his environment for anything that seemed out of the ordinary. Fifteen minutes into their trip, it suddenly happened. BAM! Multiple blasts came from a black Audi on their right side. However, their bulletproof glass held and didn't shatter. Leo then looked over at Lloyd and told him to take out their rifle, an AR-15. Guards always brought this high-powered rifle along for escorts. All employees trained with them, as well as their primary Glock sidearms. Leo continued to weave in and out of traffic, attempting to evade the black car. He was amazed that its driver kept up with him and assumed that he had prior training in tactical driving. In Leo's training, he was always told that suspects were rarely alone, so he kept scanning side to side, looking for additional pursuers. In the passenger seat, Lloyd maintained a calm demeanor. He had some firearms experience, but this was his first firefight. Lloyd knew that if they were forced to stop, or capsized, or had to leave their vehicle for any reason, his training would be put to the test. Adrenaline pumped through the veins of both men, but they had been taught on how to manage it. Time slowed down, and the chase seemed like ten minutes, when it was only about two and a half. As more vehicles pursued the Land Cruiser, a total of thirty rounds were fired, but only thirteen found their mark on the thick armored plating and windows of the Toyota. Because of Leo's superior training and skills, he was able to keep their vehicle on the road during the intense high-speed pursuit. The chase ended at a hotel parking lot. Spikes were deployed. But the pursuing Audi stopped just before its tires were punctured. Leo spun their Toyota to the side and skidded to a halt on a sidewalk. He saw the driver of the black Audi jump out and flee the scene. The other members of the thieving crew also took off on foot. Leo's first impulse was to grab the AR and chase after the suspects. 
It took every ounce of self-control to remain where he was and let the robbers go. He and Lloyd were outnumbered and outgunned. It would be foolish, and he had to utilize smart tactics to improve their chances of survival and complete the mission. Leo again looked at his reflection in the mirror. He wasn't any ordinary armored truck driver. In fact, before his employment at Fortis Pro, he had spent 12 years in one of the world's most advanced, well-trained, and hardened special police forces, South Africa's very own Special Task Force. This podcast is about heroes in military and law enforcement. Some gave their service for America and served in the armed forces. Some have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, and others protected the local community and died in the line of duty. Our lives would be a whole lot different if it weren't for the hard work and sacrifice of these brave men and women. They could have gone on to live lives that were less dangerous. However, they dedicated themselves to your protection. If you ever have the pleasure of talking to one of them, they'll tell you, I'm not a hero, but I have the honor of walking beside a few. Others will say, the real heroes are those who didn't make it back home. This is the seventh episode of the series, Special Operations Forces Throughout the World. In the ensuing episodes, I will give a profile of special forces groups throughout the world, describe their history, and list a bunch of mind-blowing stuff they've done. If you don't know yet, special forces and special operations forces are military components who are specially trained, drilled, and educated to carry out untraditional operations. Special forces began in the early part of the 1900s, with a large expansion during World War II. This was a time when every major army involved in the fighting fashioned elite forces who were loyal to special operations behind enemy lines. Varying by country, special operations may execute some of these wicked, bad-to-the-bone ops. Airborne missions, counterinsurgency, counterterrorism, foreign interior resistance, clandestine operations, targeted warfare, hostage recovery, high-value targets and manhunting, surveillance reconnaissance missions, mobility ops, and untraditional combat. Be ready to be educated and blown away by what you are about to hear. South Africa is a mostly European settled country located at the southern tip of Africa. It is the 25th largest country in the world by land area, with a population of close to 53 million people. South Africa is a multi-ethnic society encompassing a wide variety of cultures, languages, and religions. Its pluralistic makeup is reflected in the Constitution's recognition of 11 official languages, which is among the highest number of any country in the world. South Africa appeals to adventurists, backpackers, honeymooners, and families with a spellbinding mix of diverse cities, jaw-dropping scenery, and majestic wildlife. Visitors can discover beach towns and tribal villages, hike to mountain peaks, search for Africa's big five animals, and tour magnificent vineyards. Often called the Rainbow Nation, South Africa is influenced by tribal communities and European and Indian settlers. Although the nation is among one of the most beautiful places to visit on the planet, today South Africa is known for being one of the most violent democracies in the world and having one of the highest homicide rates anywhere for an area that is outside a war zone. 
This can be attributed to the nearly 40% unemployment rate that matches the crime and inequalities seen in the nation. Wherever people feel hopeless and abandoned, they turn to thievery and corruption. South Africa's police force is some of the most hardened and most experienced law enforcement agencies worldwide and has been forced to match the firmness and severity of their criminal opponents. The police are regularly outgunned and outmanned by cold-hearted thugs, many of whom have military backgrounds. In South Africa, crimes are usually very violent and fierce. In a typical week, there are about 500 murders, 4,500 violent assaults, 126 kidnappings, 1,000 armed robberies, and the list goes on. Usually the gangs wield handguns and AK-47s. Lone females in cars are usually viewed as easy targets by criminals. While driving at night, many women break the law and proceed through red lights and stop signs because of the high risk of carjackings and kidnapping. When guns are involved in these crimes, the outcome can be lethal. Some of the most violent crimes in South Africa are seizures on armored security vehicles carrying cash and valuables. The gangs are heavily armed and the assaults are achieved with military accuracy. There are an average of five such holdups every week and the gangs are intent on killing everyone on board. In 1976, an elite quick reaction force was established in South Africa and fashioned after one of the authors of Counterterrorism and Hostage Rescue, the UK's very own SAS. Initially constructed out of a major embassy hostage crisis in Johannesburg, this quick reaction force was created to push back against South Africa's violent street criminals. One of their main objectives was to operate alongside the police on the streets. They are known as the Special Task Force. The South African Police Service's Special Task Force is the Special Operations Element of the South African Police Service, SAPS. The Special Task Force is one of the most secretive units of its kind in the world. They are utilized to assist the police in a wide scope of situations from hostage rescue, anti-terrorism, and high-risk arrest to numerous situations where local police find themselves outnumbered. The unit is frequently requested to protect VIPs. In this capacity, they are deployed in a multitude of roles, including bodyguarding, surveillance, and counter-sniping. When President Clinton visited South Africa in the 1990s, the Special Task Force was the only unit allowed to work alongside U.S. Secret Service. The STF has a daunting prestige in anti-terrorism insurgency and hostage recovery. Unlike most civilian police counterterrorism units around the world, the Special Task Force is also trained to conduct military special operations and has done so on many occasions, operating with their military counterparts, especially during the 30-year border war. The Special Task Force is the only police unit in the world where all members are free-fall parachute certified. Special Task Force History Two men began the groundwork to establish a task force of police who could handle special situations. These men were Captain J.J. Deswart of the security branch of the police and Sergeant Ralph Deploy, a counterinsurgency instructor, both of whom had fought in the Rhodesian War. They began to train potential candidates who were already police officers in endurance, survival, and bush skills 
in order to implement high-risk counterinsurgency operations and greatly lower friendly casualties. On September 5, 1972, the vicious Munich Olympic massacre took place where Israeli Olympic team members were taken captive and eventually murdered by terrorist group called Black September. Several countries like the UK and Israel already had their specialized hostage rescue teams. Other nations across the globe began to see the urgency to organize their own specialized police tactics teams to deal with high-risk situations like hostage recovery. However, the higher-ups and the South African police decided against establishing one such police unit as it was unlikely that a related hostage crisis would happen at that time in South Africa. Captain Deswart and Sergeant Deploy thought otherwise as they continued to train and establish an unofficial unit of police officers outside of working hours and during the weekends. This mangy group of stubborn young blokes formed the grassroots of what would eventually become one of the most formidable special operations police units in the world. The members of this unconventional team were obliged to enlist in the South African Police Shooting Club in order to gain access to the standard-issued R1 assault rifles. They also informally attained camouflage uniforms. The unit adopted the name Blitzkims, a title from a Dutch word meaning lightning, or in street language, arsehole or sod. The traditional police training complex was unavailable to them, so they used an abandoned facility near a correctional compound for live handgun and assault rifle training. An urban setting with additional rural landscape was also employed. The unit contracted instructors from the Hunter Group of the South African Defense Force, SADF. These preceptors added further instruction in the areas of martial arts, advanced weapons handling, bush patrol patterns and tactics, special ambush and fighting techniques, all established on current military codes. Rock climbing, rope access, rescue work, skydiving, and parachute training were also added later on. Other instructors who arrived and added further special tactics training to the team were Bill Detoy, an ex-Special Forces soldier who specialized in terror tactics, Kay Lucy, who was an expert in rope work and rappelling, S. Sagala, who had an extensive knowledge on booby traps and improvised explosives, and Major J. De Jaeger, who was a paratrooper in the SADF. In 1973, during the South African Games, the Israeli government agreed to send their athletic team only if their security could be ensured. General Mike Geldenhuis, who was the head of the South African Police Security Branch at the time, agreed for Captain Deswart and his Blitzkims to be the official security team for the Israeli athletes. They were very successful and commended for their professional standards and security skills. The team gained international awareness from the press and earned high acclaim from the South African and Israeli governments. This further strengthened the concept of the beginnings of a special forces police unit. On April 28, 1975, disaster struck during a hostage crisis in the Israeli embassy on Fox Street in Johannesburg, South Africa. The gunman gave himself up, but because local police, who were deficient in counterterrorism and hostage rescue training, were unable to resolve the situation, four hostages were murdered and 82 were wounded. Later that year, the insurgent conflict in southwest Africa, now Namibia, emerged and the police and military were distended between two counterinsurgents offensives. As a result, the South Africa police force was to disengage from both fronts. 
Soon afterwards, the Bureau of State Security sustained the establishment of a new special police unit, and on June 6, 1975, Brigadier General Verster wrote an official sanction from the South African Police Security Branch to the Commissioner of the South African Police and recommended the design, responsibility, and jurisdiction arrangements for the special task force. Finally, on February 1, 1976, Lieutenant General Johannes Geldehues formally commissioned the establishment of the Special Task Force. Colonel Veraway was selected as the first commanding officer, CO, of the Special Task Force, and Captain Deswart and the original core group of the Blitzkins were reassigned as instructors for the newly developed unit. During the initial stage of candidate selection, the STF received 113 inquiries. However, only 38 were chosen, including four reserve members and one medic. Of course, this grew as the unit continued. Past Missions The Volksgas Bank Hostage Crisis in Pretoria, January 25, 1980 Umkenoto Wisaizwu, also known as MK or Spear of the Nation, was the armed section of the African National Congress, ANC, co-founded by Nelson Mandela following the massacre at Sharpsville. Its beginning defined the doctrine in the wake of the massacre that the ANC had to change their tactics to violent revolts. Its main commission was to oppose and fight against the South African government. On January 25, 1980, three MK terrorists with AK-47s and hand grenades were supposedly en route to execute an organized MK operation to destroy fuel stations at Watlu near Mamalodi. Along the way, the trio discovered that they were being tailed by South African police and diverted their original plan, taking refuge inside the Volkskas Bank in Silverton, Pretoria, just north of Johannesburg. They took 25 civilians hostage and warned that they would shoot all captives unless their requests were satisfied. In the subsequent operation, the special task force was deployed and was successful in shooting two of the terrorists. The third MK member continued fighting and tossed a hand grenade into the lobby. One of the hostages grabbed the grenade, attempting to throw it away. However, it went off, killing several civilians and wounding others. Shortly afterwards, the special task force was able to eliminate the third terrorist. In the following months after the hostage crisis, South African police arrested nine additional ANC members who were associated with the attack. Operation Husky Bus Capture and Hostage Crisis at Lesotho, September 14, 1988 On September 14, 1988, when the Pope visited Mazaru, the capital of a small country of Lesotho located inside South Africa, Four members of the Lesotho Freedom Alliance seized a bus carrying passengers to the British Embassy. Following a standoff by local police who were greatly unequipped to handle such matters, the special task force was deployed to further neutralize the situation. After unsuccessful intervention, the terrorists started shooting at onlookers in the British consulate. They then tried to use the bus to crash through the embassy gates. The special task force assaulted the bus, eliminating three terrorists and apprehending a fourth. They then neutralized an IED, improvised explosive device. In the aftermath, 17 injured civilians were treated by the special task force medics. Kidnapping and hostage situation. Verenahang, November 27, 1995. On November 27, 1995, 
the Intelligence Service and Criminal Investigations Department, CID, of Secunda and Verenahing appealed for the help of the Special Task Force on a mission to pinpoint the location of a man who had been kidnapped and was being detained as a hostage. The latest intel was that three criminals had abducted the man and were located at a residence in Daleside, Verenahing, south of Johannesburg. A nine-member team of the Special Task Force was deployed for the operation. When they arrived at the house, they began negotiations and the kidnapped man was set free uninjured during a tactical resolution. All three kidnappers were arrested and no weapons were discharged. Five firearms were discovered in the home and were confiscated by the STF. Protea Coin Cash Compound Shootout, November 24, 2012 In Robertsville, western Johannesburg, in the early evening, the Special Task Force encountered a group of 20 well-equipped men with assault weapons who had recently robbed a cash depot. The thieves were pursued, and with no escape route, they opened fire on the extremely well-trained Special Task Force. As a result, seven thieves were killed and nine were wounded. The Special Task Force members escaped with no injuries. How to join the Special Task Force Candidates for the STF must be citizens of South Africa, apply on a voluntary basis, and may choose to withdraw during any stage. They must have finished the six-month basic police college training and have served for two years as an active duty police officer. Only non-commissioned officers between 21 and 30 are considered. The next phase, called PrepCon, has an average dropout rate of 50%. This is mostly due to inadequate physical fitness or the inability to swim. The following three categories are assessed for the PrepCon phase. Number one, physical fitness and strength. A two-mile run in boots, long pants, and a rifle in 18 minutes. Five pull-ups, 60 sit-ups in two minutes. 35 push-ups in one minute, and 10 25-meter sprints in 65 seconds. Number two, swimming. A 200-meter swim in dark water using any swimming style. Number three, endurance. A nine-and-a-half-mile walk carrying 30 pounds in three hours. The physical abilities that real special task force operators function at is much higher than is necessary to pass the prep con. The next stage is the notorious Vazbit phase. Vazbit is an Afrikaans word, which was the language developed from the Dutch settlers who came to South Africa in the 17th century. Vazbit literally means to bite down and hold onto or grit one's teeth. Johan Lehrer, a former STF operator, described Vazbit in the following sentence. It is about setting a specific long-term goal and doing whatever it takes until a goal has been reached. It's always much easier to give up, but people with grit can keep going. Vasbit takes place at Verdrag twice a year. The Vasbit process verifies that the candidates have abilities in the following areas. Physical ability and mental strength. Cognitive level. Physical and mental limitations are extended during Vasbit. Finally, candidates are devoted to the morale of the STF, producing a tight-knit kinship despite race, culture, religion, or gender. If a candidate passes VASBIT, they will begin the 28-week STF training course that includes the following categories. Weapons training for six weeks. This includes training in assault rifles, shotguns, machine guns, handguns, fitness, strength, and unarmed combat. 
basic rural operations training, six weeks. This includes training and support weapons, grenade launchers, foreign weapons, minor explosives, bush and battlecraft, navigation, heavy vehicle operations, follow-up ops, observation posts, and helicopter deployments. Urban operations training, seven weeks. This includes training in securing dangerous suspects, cash in transit heists, robberies, various high-risk ops, urban helicopter deployments, and basic planning, and command and control of urban ops. Parachute training, four weeks. This includes training in static line, night parachuting, free fall, and parachuting with equipment. The final stage is hostage release training for five weeks. This includes training and hostage rescue aboard aircraft, trains, various land vehicles, and small water vessels. In conclusion, as one can see, it is not easy to live amongst the crime-infested areas of South Africa. Citizens must take risks, pray for their safety, and trust in the security of the police. Police officers in South Africa are among the most experienced at their craft, having to deal with high-risk and daring situations on a daily basis. The South African STF is the elite of the elite in law enforcement in this crime-riddled country. It is no easy task to be among their elite members. However, once chosen as an official STF operator, the sky is the limit. In 2004, 60% of STF operators, about 130 members, left the force and began working for companies enlisting private contractors to work in Iraq and other war-torn countries due to the need for their special abilities. It could be that because of the fallout of over half of their operators that the STF began to recruit females into their ranks. The special task force continues to hone their skills as operators and in 2010, Several top officials in the unit were sent to the United States to brush up on their crisis response skills. I will close with a quote from a former STF operator. The Special Task Force is an elite unit consisting of highly skilled, qualified, and specialized members. If you are a member of the Special Task Force, your work comes first. It doesn't matter where or what time it is, they are so dedicated to their work that they'll always be where they are needed. Every situation they handle demands commitment, discipline, skill, and teamwork. And they've got it all. The following is a poem written in memory of those members of the Special Task Force who have died in the line of duty. Lest we forget. I never dreamed it would be me, my name for all eternity, recorded here at this hallowed place. Alas, my name no more my face. In the line of duty, I hear them say, my family now the price to pay my folded flag stained with their tears. We only had those few short years, the badge no longer on my chest. I sleep now in eternal rest. My sword I pass to those behind and pray they keep this thought in mind. I never dreamed it would be me. And with heavy heart and bended knee, I ask for all here from the past. Dear God, let my name be the last. Let us remember the lives of those who've given their service to the South African Special Task Force. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, or you need to help me with my South African accent, please email me at rememberMyName at gmail.com. 
You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at RMNPodcast. Podcast.